Thank you, choir. As we open God's Word together, let us go to Him in prayer. What a privilege, God, to be able to say it is well with our souls. And we know that the only reason we can say that is because of what You've done. And Lord, thank You for the privilege of knowing You and being reconciled to You through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if anyone here doesn't know Christ, that even during this short time together, that they would get a better glimpse of uh, the gospel, what you've done for them in Jesus, and, and that they can too, they could say, you know, it is well with my soul. Lord, now I ask that you would speak to us in your word, Lord, help us to hear your truths, and I pray that your truth would penetrate to the deepest parts of us, that we would be changed, even today, even now, uh, into the people you want us to be, that we may go forward from here, uh, representing you well. Uh, to those around us. Now I ask that you would do a great work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we're nearing the end of the series on the seven deadly sins, we come to almost our last one. Now I have to give you a warning, and you may, you may not even come to church next week, actually. I, I don't know even why I'm saying this to you. But I'm just going to give you the heads up. You know, a few few weeks ago, I had uh, someone preach for me. I was out of town, and the sin that they were supposed to preach on was gluttony. But he didn't want to tackle that. <laughs> so I said, well, okay, well, I'll move it to the end, which is just prior to Thanksgiving. And so, uh, <laughs> so if you're not here next week, I'll know why. And we'll all know why. No, that would be the final sin that we'll talk about. Um, and hopefully we'll have a, a, we can gain a perspective on that and how to enjoy all the, the blessings that God gives us, including food, without uh, maybe overdoing it. But today we're going to talk about the sin of wrath. Now, wrath is not a word that we use maybe in our day-to-day language. We typically use the word anger, which they are very closely related. Wrath is actually uh, uh, very closely related to, to anger and actually flows from anger. And anger is a you know, powerful passion and a feeling that uh, creeps up within us in response to a number of different things. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to try to define anger and then show you how anger leads to wrath. And then finally I want to talk about how we as followers of Jesus, how do we deal with anger and wrath? Okay, so let's start by defining anger. Throughout the scripture, we read that God gets angry. And we see that Jesus actually expresses anger as well. And there are many godly people in the scripture that experience anger. And if you turn with me to Ephesians 4, there's actually two passages that I want you to uh, mark. And we're going to go back to uh, throughout this sermon. One is in Ephesians chapter 4. And the other one is in Romans chapter 12. And so you want to just hold your place there. We're going to keep going back to those passages. I'm also going to uh, read several other scripture passages that you can just jot down in your notes or on your bulletin. But those are the main two that we're going to look at throughout the sermon this morning. And so the Apostle Paul, he says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27. He says, Be angry... And do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so Paul says, seems to be saying anyway, you know, being angry is not necessarily a bad thing. However, we have to be careful in, in how we express our anger and what we allow anger to lead us to do. And anger, when you think about it, if you think about what makes me angry, usually we become angry when we are wronged or we see someone else being wronged. You know, so it can be triggered by sin, injustice, or maybe even simply irritation. Uh, for example, in the news this past week or so, there was a story about a substitute teacher in his 60s. He was substituting, it might have been a high school uh, he was he was substituting in. And the news story was about he was in the school and he was correcting one of the, the students. And the student picked him up and slammed him to the ground and knocked him out. And so when you hear that story, what is your response? Well, I think for most of us, we will get angry at that. We'll say, that's not right. You know, something needs to be done. So we respond in anger when we see someone wronged or if we're wronged or uh, maybe we're irritated by something, something's not going our way, that tends to cause this emotion, this passion of anger. And we have this sense in which not only do I not like being wronged or I, I do not like you being wronged, I, I want it to be, you know, you need to have a consequence for that. There needs, someone needs to do something, you know. We need to right the wrong, so to speak. Justice needs to be served. That all flows out of anger. And so anger is triggered by being wronged or seeing someone else being wronged. Secondly, I want to show you that you know, anger leads to wrath. And I, I am drawing a distinction between the two, even though they, you know, they, they are flow together. And it's hard to you know, necessarily draw a clean line between anger and wrath. But I want to try. Whereas anger is our you know, internal reaction to sin or injustice wrath is our external retaliation you know wrath deals with punishment it deals with retaliation our our action what we do with our anger when we seek to punish the wrong doer that that's wrath and so wrath always follows anger wrath is the natural path that anger walks down if left unchecked. And so you may say, well, Ron, why is wrath a sin? And I'll say wrath is a sin because what wrath does is it puts you in a position of judge and jury, you the individual. Instead of allowing sin to be dealt with the way God has ordained it to be dealt with. And we'll unpack that more in just a moment. But we see wrath follows anger. And what we see in the scripture overwhelmingly is that the person who allows their anger to develop into wrath is seen as immature and sinful. And over and over again, we are shown that the person who controls his or her anger is virtuous or godly. And let me just give you a few passages that speak to this. And you can just jot these down. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. 
Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. And so what we see in just those few passages is that our natural instinct is wrath. We become angry and we want to be wrathful. We want to dish out punishment. But we see that God tells His people to respond to anger differently. So finally, what we want to consider is how do we as followers of Jesus, how do we deal with anger and wrath? And the first thing is, we, you know, when we come to Christ... Our view of the world changes. Right? I mean, we see the world differently. We, we no longer see ourselves as, as simply governed by instinct. You know, we, are, we, we live with eternity in mind. And so we live with an eternal perspective. And we don't view the world as simply this machine that grinds you up and puts you in the ground. But we see the world as being... Uh, under the care of God, that God is ruling and reigning. And so that affects how we interact with people. That's how we respond. It affects how we respond to uh, even sin in the world. And we also realize in Christ that God is a loving God. He's a merciful God, but He's also a just God in that God gets angry with sin, just like you get angry with sin, but to a a greater degree. He gets angry with sin, yet at the same time, he is patient in that he allows an opportunity to be extended to you that you can receive forgiveness for your sin and not be under the punishment that your sin requires. But rather, that punishment is placed elsewhere and that punishment is placed on his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul says it in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. He writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. And so in summary, what this passage tells us is that God the Father sent His Son in the person of Jesus Christ to deal with our sin. So what this tells us is that all sin will be dealt with. All injustice will be held accountable. And we see this happening in in two stages. Uh, The first stage of punishment we see even occurs uh, in our own communities. For example, if you go and rob a bank and you're caught then you will be punished for that, right? You will be 
taken through the, the legal system and you'll be punished if you're guilty and you will be given a certain amount of punishment or time to serve, okay? And so that's one way that you are punished for your sin in a temporal sense. However, we know that that doesn't always work. I mean, there are people that commit crimes that never receive their punishment here and now. And that leads us to the second stage of punishment, and that is when we sin against a person, our community may punish them through our legal system, the state. Uh, But when we sin against a person, we're also sinning against God because God made them in His image. And therefore, we not only have to give an account to our city government or our state government or federal government, but we have to give an account to God because ultimately our sin is against Him and not just other people. And so what this means is that when we sin, we are placed under the wrath of God. In other words, God is going to deal with sin. And this should not be strange to you because you know when you, when you see someone sinned against, your reaction is to say, that's not right. Something must be done. Or you can imagine God being holy and good and perfect when He sees sin, when someone sinned against His creation, uh, someone made His image, how He would respond. That's not right. That needs to be dealt with. And so all sin will be dealt with. And this means that ultimately, even if you sin now and you never are convicted by our legal system because of a sin you committed, uh, because we are sinful, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and you will be punished for your sin. Unless you believe in Jesus Christ which is God's provision for man's sin. And so, one way or the other, sin will be punished, whether you will take on the punishment, or you will allow the punishment to be placed on Christ, so to speak, or allow Christ to deal with your punishment. But either way, sin is going to be punished, because God is just. He's not just going to say, well, it's no big deal, you know, sweep it under the rug, we're just not going to you know, talk about that. He's going to deal with it one way or the other. So when we recognize this truth that God deals with sin and punishment, that He's the just judge and He will ultimately right every wrong, when we, when we see that, then it gives us a platform to now deal with sin in our own communities. You know, how do we deal when someone deal with uh, someone who sins against us, for example, or the wrongs that we encounter? How do we respond to that? Well, what we see is that being angry is not necessarily a bad thing. I would actually say if if sin doesn't anger you, that may be a cause for concern. It should bother you uh, with your own sin or the sin of others. You should know that's not right. That's not the way things are meant to be. And it should bother you, right? But we are not the ones, individually speaking here, to right all the wrongs. You know, we're not the ones to dish out punishment or seek revenge or vengeance. And James tells us this in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we see 
being angry is not necessarily a bad thing. However, rarely, I think, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but rarely, if we act out in anger, are we achieving the righteousness of God. (laughs) And you all know this by experience, I'm sure. I know it by experience. When I act out in anger, I usually later on regret that and have to confess my sin because I was too hasty, right? Uh, Someone said that, you know, anger and wrath, it's when uh, the tongue moves faster than the brain, you know? (laughs) It's just, you you just keep spiraling down and uh, you rarely achieve the righteousness of God. And so, uh, even though you can be angry, generally speaking, throughout the scripture, we see that as individuals, we should avoid wrath. We should avoid punishing those who are in the wrong. We should not be wrathful. Now, back in Ephesians 4, I hope you're still there. Ephesians 4, 26, Paul said, be angry, but do not sin. Okay, be angry, but do not sin. So he seems to tell us being angry is not necessarily wrong. However, just in a, if you go down just a few verses in verse, 20, verse 31, go down to verse 31, he says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from among you along with all malice. So he says, you know, be angry, do not sin, but you need to put it away. <laughs> if you sense yourself getting angry, you need to come to a place where you put it away, that you don't act on it. You put it away because, as we read in James, anger does not achieve the, the righteousness of God when it is put in practice. Or as Benjamin Franklin once said, you know, anger is never without a reason. It's just rarely a good reason. We always have a reason to be angry. It's just rarely a, rarely a good one. Therefore, you know, over and over in the scripture, we're told to not exercise wrath due to our anger. Now flip over to Romans 12. This is a passage that is very challenging. But it's not the only one like it. I'll read a few others as well. But this is a challenging passage that we need to take into account today as we consider wrath. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 12, 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, when you're wronged, he's saying you should not be the one that seeks to punish. But you should allow the Lord to do that. Vengeance is his. Now, what does that mean? How does that work out in daily life? You know, how does that work itself out when I'm wronged or when you're wronged? How do we deal with anger? How do we deal with those who sin against us? Well, first of all. We need to allow the institutions that God has put in place to deal with sin. And there are several institutions that God has put in place to deal with sin. He's created the family. He's put in place the institution of the church. He's put in the institution of the state. And then ultimately, the judgment seat of God. So, for example, parents are to discipline their children, right? The church, not the individual, is given authority to discipline her members. The state, not the individual, is given the responsibility to wield the sword for the punishment of evil 
And you see that over in Romans 13. And ultimately, every sinner will face the judgment seat of God where the eyes of God will, will see straight to the truth and distribute adequate justice. Because He is a just God. And so allowing these institutions that God has put in place to exercise punishment is what, what Paul means here in Romans twelve nineteen when he says, Never avenge yourselves, but let it or leave it to the wrath of God. You know, allow God to punish evil the way he has uh, structured that punishment to take place. So first of all, we need to submit ourselves to those institutions that God has put in place to deal with evil. Secondly, we are to bless instead of punish. And this is the most countercultural uh, you know, aspect of Christianity probably there is. And that is, when we are wronged, when, we, when someone does evil to us, we are not to respond in punishment, but we're to respond in blessing. And so, why does that make sense? You know, that doesn't make, no, that doesn't make any sense. Unless... Your sense is based on something else other than this, this world. Right? If your sense is based on uh, who God is and what God has done and what God will do, then that's exactly how you'll react. That will be the most natural way to react if your sense is rooted in the gospel. And so, how do we do this? How do we bless instead of punish? Romans 12, 19-21 again. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says the Lord. To the contrary, he says. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so there are two reasons why we should respond this way. The first is, by responding this way with blessing instead of punishment, we are giving the world a glimpse of the gospel. Are we not? We're giving the world a glimpse, glimpse of the gospel. Listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. But now have returned to the shepherd. And overseer of your souls. So Peter's saying. This is what you're called to as Christians. You're called to walk in those same types of steps. And that we are to respond with blessing. Instead of punishment. Because that's what Christ did for us. And that's how we are now able to experience a relationship with God. It's because Jesus did not immediately punish 
as a result of him being sinned against. He did not immediately punish, but rather he absorbed the sin so that he could provide a way for us to be forgiven and be in a relationship with God. So, in our interactions with one another, we should exhibit this type of action, this gospel type of action. I want to share a story with you. You may have heard this before, but it illustrates uh, wonderfully, I think, how someone demonstrates the gospel in a very difficult situation. There's a, there's a transfer student. His name is Bruce Goodrich. He's transferring from a college to Texas A&M. And before classes began, he uh, was going to, well, he was going into the, um, the cadet corps at Texas A&M. And so before classes started, they had this kind of, really what it was, kind of a hazing process. And so one night, Bruce was forced to run until he just collapsed, just dropped, right? Just kind of a hazing uh, activity. But the problem was he never got up. And they pushed him so hard that he actually died that night, even before he started his first class at Texas A&M. Now, after that tragedy, Bruce's father wrote a letter to the administration, faculty, and student body in the Corps Cadet there. And this is what he said. He said, I'd like to take this opportunity to express the appreciation of my family for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University and the college community over the loss of our son, Bruce. We were deeply touched by the tribute paid to him in the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed during his brief time on campus. I hope it will be some comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in this matter. We know our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. When the question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer will be, so that many will consider where they will spend eternity. Now, how could someone respond like that? The only way I can think of that someone, a parent especially, would respond that way is is if they deeply believed the gospel and they realized what God had done for them in Christ and they trusted in the sovereignty of God. In that God will right every wrong. He will make sure no sin goes unpunished. That's the only way I can think of that a parent would be able to respond that way. And that doesn't mean that we, we, we do not allow the legal system to deal with sin. Later on, some of the, the boys that were involved in this, they were convicted of a crime. But the family, to respond that way, was very, is very Christ-centered. And so what this shows us is that we... We ought to channel our anger not in retribution, but rather in blessing. Jesus says it this way in Luke 6, 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. In Romans 12, 14, we read, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we ought to bless instead of punish because that more clearly demonstrates the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps in doing this, the wrongdoer, the one who's doing wrong, will recognize the wrong they're doing and turn to Christ. I mean, that is our hope. Second reason we ought to bless instead of exercise wrath is that we know God is to be, He is a just judge. And you may say, well, Ron, by, you know, by blessing instead of punishing, you're taking sin, you're not taking sin seriously. You're not, you're not taking justice seriously. And I would say, actually, it's probably the opposite. I think we take sin so seriously that we're willing to allow uh, justice to wait so that this person may experience the gospel. It's saying sin is so serious. I want to do all I, all I can, including blessing you, so that you may get a glimpse of the gospel before you face the judgment of God. And so, as Christians, we're not, we don't have a diminished view of justice or light view of sin, but just the opposite. Because we realize, unless the sinner turns to Jesus, they will be punished for their sin forever. And we take that very seriously. And therefore, we're willing to withhold our punishment so that you may experience grace and mercy. Not only ours, but hopefully of God's as well as you come to Christ. And so we're willing to see justice delayed so that more people may come to Christ. You know, justice delayed is still justice. And isn't this what God did? I mean, this is, isn't this how God acts? You know, in Psalm 78, 38, it says, Yet He, meaning God, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity, and did not destroy them. He restrained His anger often, and did not stir up all His wrath. In other words, He, he withheld His wrath for a time, so that they could be atoned for, forgiven, brought in. And then in 2 Peter 3, 9, we read, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So is God going to punish sin? Absolutely. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to hold every sin accountable. However, He is extending patience so that we can experience His grace and receive forgiveness. And so when you become angry, which you will, when you become angry, I want you to consider channeling your anger to blessing rather than wrath. Because this most clearly both communicates the gospel on the one hand, and on the other hand shows that you are trusting in the sovereignty of God. In the justice of God, that He will deal with sin And so as believers, like I said, as we experience anger, which we will, let us try to use that instance of evil for good and be a blessing instead of a curse. Let's pray together. Lord, that is our prayer, and it is very difficult. Uh, It is more and more difficult uh, the less we understand the gospel. 
Lord, help us to understand the gospel more deeply. Help us to see uh, your patience toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, help us to uh, be mindful of the seriousness of sin. The importance of justice and yet at the same time uh, exhibit mercy. So that more people can experience forgiveness that comes through Christ. Lord, help us to be a church that is known for uh, blessing. Blessing those within and blessing those without. That you may be honored. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.